Welcome to my mom's podcast. Hi, I'm Marisa Calderon, and you're listening to the Early Childhood Journeys podcast. I'm capturing the early childhood journeys of educators, including discussions and strategies on best practices for children, birth through third grade, and sharing them here for you. So I'm excited to bring you guys today, um, Nicole Russell. And today, I actually, um, I thought the, the your office was at a different spot, so I came in kind of frazzled because I've been to the Department of Ed before, um, to this unit, but... I think I was on a different floor, perhaps. <laughs> yes, or a different building. We were in another building altogether. There is altogether. construction um, yes. going on as it is, but um, I'm so glad you're able to join me today for this podcast um, episode, Nicole. And tell me, well, tell for the folks that don't know us, um, you're a long uh, position. You're. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gonna. Mm-hmm. When I was creating the little blurb for you, I'm like, this is really long. I know there's yes. more to this than just um, the. the Deputy or Assistant Superintendent. Tell mm-hmm. us your full Sure. Title. So I have, my title is Deputy Associate Superintendent for Early Childhood and Head Start State Collaboration Director. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, do you have to fit that in your business card? I do. <laughs> so my business card has my name, two lines for this role, and then a little bit about AD. It's my <laughs> phone number because that's all there's room for. There's not even that. Yeah. That would be, that's hard. No credentials, nothing. (laughs) That's no room for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, tell us for the folks that aren't familiar with um, your position, Mm -hmm. what what does that mean? What does that look like? So I'll tell you what on paper it means, and then we can talk a little bit about what that means (laughs) in real life. Yes. (laughs) On paper, it means that I oversee birth through third grade for the Department of Education. So overseeing birth through third grade means standards, it's teachers, it's professional development, it's anything that might be related to someone who works with a baby, a toddler, a third grader, a second grader. Typically, this office is overseeing that work. For kindergarten through third grade, we share that with our partners over in our standards unit. So we have that space of kindergarten, first, second, third grade teacher support and administrators. For the Head Start Collaboration Office side of it, it means that I work with Head Start grantee directors. So there's the big office of Head Start, and then every state has a collaboration office. And really, the primary job of that person is to convene meetings, represent the Head Start voice in state-level meetings, decisions, looking at ways to help support Head Start and using what Head Start has to offer to help support the rest of the early childhood system. Wow. I want to mention um, the K through third piece mm-hmm. that you share. So there's there might be a misconception that early childhood possibly ends at like preschool age, and that's not the case. We know that it's zero through third grade, and this idea that both um, I guess units, both departments share K. K through third grade. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Um, I didn't come to learn about that until a couple of years ago. <clears throat> I thought it was completely separate for some reason, mm-hmm. or maybe K was kindergarten was maybe the only one that was shared. So I think that's an important piece. I want my audience to understand that um, early childhood goes up through third grade, and those that population of teachers and um, that practice is being overseen by uh, you. 
like people, good folks like you in yes. early childhood, as well as that the K through 12 standards mm -hmm. unit. Um, yeah. With that, I, I was, I have so many questions. I don't even know because you do so much. One of the things I know that I appreciate is that you represent early childhood at the national yes. level a lot of times. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? So <clears throat> give me perhaps your past um, meeting. I know we were talking mm -hmm. about that you're just coming back from traveling and I'm like, when are you traveling again? Because you're always traveling right. and mm -hmm. you're always connecting and representing us. Yes. What was, when was the last time, uh, last meeting you were representing us at the, at the national level? Sure, so just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Washington, D.C. And sometimes when I travel, I go and I, it's solely to deepen my knowledge by what I know about practice to evaluate policy. It's yeah. for me to get better at being me. Um, in this case, I was going to talk about the great work we're doing in Arizona. So I was asked to be on a panel and it went from being on one panel to presenting three presentations over the course of two days. Um, one was about our work on how we have an inclusion task force for early childhood. We're the only state that has one where we've brought in, brought together stakeholders and said, oh, let me back up because yeah. I used to be the director of I, early I childhood just, special education. I was going to talk to you about your previous okay. position, but go ahead. So when I was in that work, I would be in school districts, I'd be in childcare centers, and people would say to me, oh, we're supposed to be s supporting kids with disabilities. I don't know how to do that. We've been trying to do this, and here, this is in our way. We can't do it because such and such. I kept hearing repeatedly about the barriers to inclusion, yeah. authentic, meaningful inclusion for young children. And it bothered me because they were looking to me for solutions. and. I think that's the thing that people get wrong is they're looking for someone to solve the answer, solve the problem when really the answer lies within them. So when I moved into this new position and we at the same time we got this really big grant, the preschool development grant, one of the things we wrote into our application was, can we have a task force that could come together, talk about the problems surrounding meaningful inclusion, getting us to how do we then develop strategies to address the problems so we can move to a place of doing something about it. So we started that in 2015, brought the right stakeholders together. It's a big group and they're representative of everything, in-home, private childcare, school district, everybody you can imagine, early intervention, Head Start. Brought them together to say, first of all, we gotta get to know one another. We're supposed to be relying on one another to say, whoa, a child might start with me in my home childcare and then I know they go to the Head Start and then they might go over to somebody else's house and then they end up Eventually, they all end up in the school system if they're not being homeschooled. We've got to get together. So no matter where they go, they're having a meaningful experience, whether or not they have disabilities. Now we're at the place a year later where we said, okay, we've identified all the barriers, which at the top, the three things that impede inclusion the most, attitudes and beliefs, what do you believe about children? And when you say all children, do you really mean all children or all children but, and you have an asterisk that says, except the kids with challenging behavior, except the kids with developmental delay, whatever. If you have that caveat, you're not about all children. So we've got to get to attitudes and beliefs. Second is about the culture. If it's an inclusive culture, that means inclusive. You can't say inclusive however, or inclusive but, or inclusive except. It's the same thing that goes back to attitudes and belief. And three, it's about leadership. You've got to have a person who's leading that truly believes kids belong together. So 
what we've been working on this year is, okay, we've identified what the barriers are, how are we going to address that? So this national panel that I was on, the panel was asking questions about how did you get the group together, you know, the logistics. How do you even get people to agree to come in a room oh, yeah. to talk about this <clears throat> when everyone's sort of territorial yeah. about their thing and sort of private. Mm -hmm. They don't want to expose everything. Yeah. Um, and so we talked about how we did that. The other two sessions we did, one was on family engagement. What is it like to truly engage families? And the third one was about um, our communication style. How do we communicate about the work that we're doing? Do we only talk about the really good things? Do we talk about the bad things? How do you do that with tact? What have we learned about how to communicate? And I'm a very transparent person anyway, and that has really shaped the way that we communicate. We're open about everything, good, bad, ugly. We're gonna tell you everything because I think the more you know, I think the more you see us as people, People who are doing our best every day to help you as an early childhood teacher, administrator, be better at what you do. Because ultimately we care about the same thing and that's kids. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I wanna go back to your previous position. Mm -hmm. So before you had this position, you've been in this position for two, like two years? years. Two yep. years. And prior to that, what was your position here? I was a director of early childhood special education. How did you like that? I loved that. I felt like, oh my gosh, I was finally in the job that, even though I didn't know it, what I was meant to be in. My background is in special education. I was a special education teacher. I tell people I grew up in a special education household. My dad's a special education teacher and has been for years. And he worked with seventh and eighth graders who are emotionally impaired, severely handicapped, uh, Pretty much anyone that other teachers didn't want, they would stick in my dad's class. Yeah. And so much of my childhood was spent in his classrooms, volunteering, hanging out, talking with children. Many of them ended up in our homes. They would come over for dinner. They'd be waiting outside because, you know, we lived in the community in which my dad taught. And it just gave me a true appreciation for um, people with disabilities. They really are just people. Yeah. And it gave me such a... Um, strong belief that there is no reason they should ever be excluded from whatever is happening. And so I went to school, I got my degree, my um, second degree is in special education and I taught in special education and I actually left that world because I felt like what they were asking me to do at kids at that time was so inappropriate and mm. felt so against everything I knew intrinsically was wrong that I couldn't do that anymore. Do you remember uh, what your first job was? I do. Like I always ask, I always ask um, my guests if you remember mm -hmm. what your first job was, and then what led you to to um, choose this path, mm -hmm. or if it kind of kind of just landed in the path. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> do you remember? I do. My very first job. I was fourteen years old. I worked in a boys and girls club. Oh my God, me too. I mean, that, like, I, yeah. was, I, I was probably a junior in high school. Yep, I yeah. was 14, Boys and Girls Club. It was a summer job, and I worked in the library as the librarian's assistant. And that was perfect for me because I was a shy kid. I read ferociously. I mean, I lived in the library. So it was fitting for me to be in the library at the Boys and Girls Club. And I would do, they would stick me with the very little kids, and we would color, and we would read, and we would play games, and 
that was really my first my first paid position. When I look at my career now, I sort of landed in this role. Like I said, I taught. I initially was going to go into journalism. I was a writer, wanted to write. I got scholarships for my undergrad in writing to be a journalist. Wow. And I got through the third year and thought, I really don't want to be a writer. <laughs> like, it's that wasn't what I was about. And changed. And I became an English major. And then I got a teaching certificate so I could teach. So I taught English. And then I was working on my master's degree in special education. So then I could teach special education. Um, and then since then, I when I left the K-12 system, I, my last seven years I taught kindergarten. And I said, I, I, I can't do this like this. Left that and said, well, if I get to them sooner, maybe I'll find a place where I can start changing how we do what we do. And that's how I end up in the earlier years of early childhood. And since then, you know, I was a child care teacher, a program coordinator. I was an assistant director, a director. And that was what I was doing right before I came here. So sort of lived that journey of every facet of working with young children. Do you remember, um, tell me about a time when you really wanted to give up? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, this isn't for me. Yeah. What, and what pushed you through that? So in 2010, so there's only one time in my life that I ever have that feeling of, I'm not sure I can do this. And... Um, that was in 2010. I had um, delivered my son early, and he passed away. And I was working with young children. And, oh, my God, I, I couldn't imagine, like, oh, I can't be around kids. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. And after about two weeks of that, just feeling like I cannot, like, I can't do this. i got to find something else to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Something else, somewhere else, mm -hmm. I, I can't. And... But I really didn't have a choice <laughs> at that time. And I thought, well, I got to go back. I'm going to go back until I get another job. And I went back and it was hard, but it was also like I knew I belonged. I, it was your calling. Yeah, this is where I belong. There's nothing else I want to do, nothing else I think I could do except work on behalf of children. Um, and so it was a matter of sticking to it and just making myself get through that and saying, it's, never, it's not supposed to be easy all the time. And you sort of have to, that's what persistence is. That's resilience. It's You've got to make yourself do the thing that's most difficult. Ugh, and so yeah. just sort of trudging through that. Other than that, I've loved, I mean, as challenging as my work is, as, as many days as I have going home, like, OMG. Yeah. I, I love what I do. And I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Do you, for this position... Can you recall perhaps a small um, celebration that you've been able to, you know, get mm -hmm. through? Because I know at your level, policy mm -hmm. is really hard to get yeah. past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think this year a big win was our kindergarten developmental inventory. For us to be able to have a finally have a tool that was approved to be used. Um, Can you say a little bit about sure. what it is for our, uh, for our audience that may not sure, know sure. about it? So um, many of the federal initiatives require that you have a kindergarten entrance assessment. And just the idea of assessing kids at kinder sort of rubs me the wrong yes. way. It rubs people the wrong way. And um, 
the grateful thing about Arizona's early childhood community is that we said, well, we're not going to be assessing kids when they come in. We want to know, yes, we want to know about kids when they come in. And that's why we said we're going to call it a kindergarten developmental inventory, because we really believe that, that we just need to know where are they when they come in, no matter where that is, whatever that happens to look like, we just need to know, because that's the only way we're going to be able to respond in a way that matches that, yeah. and to support them on their academic journey. Um, so getting that approved was just monumental. I really felt like, holy smokes, we did it, because... I've been at the agency five years and we've been, been at it for five years. And I know the work started before I came here. So yeah. to be able to see that through all the way through completion, to just get the tool approved. I mean, now you get into that work of implementation and how do we do it and how do we use it appropriately? But my gosh, for that one day, like that one moment in time when they said that was approved, it was victory. Like you just felt, oh my God, we did it. I can't believe it. Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah. And it's the, the tool follows the child mm -hmm. up, up yeah. through, um, was it third grade? Yes, through third correct? grade. So uh, that's what's great about it. And it's because it's online, uh, for our teachers that are listening, you're going to be able, for those uh, schools that participate in the tool, they're going to be able to, to look up mm -hmm. the information of the mm -hmm. child, right? Yep. From previous yes. uh, use. So that's what I think is great because then you can really see the progression of learning, mm -hmm. you know, the, their own continuum of development, which is something that's for me is always super important in, in our field in general, really. Um, what do you think was perhaps one of the biggest challenges for that? Oh my gosh, biggest challenge. I think um, the philosophical differences people have just when you say assessment, especially when it comes to young children, people have the reaction I typically have, which is you cringe, and you're like, oh, this can't be good. You just have that reaction. This yeah, can't like, be uh, good. Can you explain what you mean? Yes. What do you mean by assessment? Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you? And then I get a better mm -hmm. idea. And, and then to have people look at it differently. Changing paradigm is difficult anyway. But when you take something so delicate as to... Um, what people felt was assessing whether or not they were good enough adults. Mm -hmm. That's really what a, a lot of what I got. Well, you'll be saying that if they came from X classroom or X setting, let's say they were at home, you're saying they're coming from my house. If they're not ready, you're saying my house wasn't good enough for them. Or they're coming from this child care center, and you're saying this child care center. And getting them to see this is not about you. Yeah. This is about the children. And all I need to know is what does Nicole need on day one of kindergarten or first grade, whatever it mm -hmm. is. What does she need on that day from me? And the more information I have to tell me about her, the better prepared I am to say, oh my gosh, that means I have to prepare dot, dot, and dot to help her. And then I got to look at what does John need and what does Karen need and whomever. It really is not about the adult. This is about the children and what do they need and can we respond to that adequately? We can't if we don't know them. And I tell people, this is really about getting to know kids. We've dismissed that for years now. We don't get to know them. And how can you possibly support somebody you know nothing about? All you're doing is talking at them. You're, you think you're teaching with little consideration for are they learning? Do I know enough about them to know what they need to learn and how they learn and what they want to learn? And if we don't ever get to that place, 
we I think will continue doing injustice. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. just doing an injustice to children. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so is there with that? Is there any misconception about your department about? I don't. I don't want to say the EA as a whole. That's a huge. Mm -hmm. That's a huge piece for you to take on. But is there any misconception about you know your your unit that you would want to clarify? I think the biggest misconception is people think we give mandates and we don't. I think people forget that my job here and the job of my staff. Our job is to support what's written in the statutes. So Arizona statute, the federal law. So. Our work is to implement the results of that. And we try to do that with best intentions. We try to do that in ways that we can use our expertise as people who know about children and who know about adults and how do you um, toggle between the two, the needs of children and the needs of adults. We've got to do that within the confines of the law. And so the, the biggest misconception people have is that we're writing all these policies just out of thin air. Well, actually, the policies are really to help guide the work of upholding the law. And so if you really want to impact how we do what we do, you've got to look at your legislative body. Who are you voting for? What do they believe about kids? What is important to them? What do they prioritize? Because of the things they vote on that become law, that legislation becomes what we have to then adhere to. Good, bad, how indifferent, however you feel about it, that's the reality is at that level is where the power is. It's in your vote and who you're voting for. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm so glad you you brought that up. You mentioned that one because that's a, that's a really huge one that I'm constantly um, clarifying, mm -hmm. especially now with my role just stepping outside of the early childhood space and into the business community and, and, and trying to bring more awareness about the work that we do in, in early childhood. And that, that piece about the legislative, legislative piece. Now, what would you say for that newly, perhaps uh, hired uh, school teacher, any advice for that teacher if she's or he is struggling um, to continue there maybe they're they're thinking about you know there's a fork in the road do i really want to continue to stay in this field especially um mm -hmm. in our state right now yeah any particular advice you would give to that teacher um well if they're in the thick of it my advice would be to pause and step back i think sometimes we get caught up in the busyness of our work the stress of the work that we make um emotional decisions based on what's happening right at that second when if you take a breath and you step back and you think okay wait i've got to sort of recenter and regroup and really look at what am i doing why am i doing it do i really want to continue this because there are some people they really they shouldn't they're not good at it they don't want to be good at it they're doing it because they were interested and now that they've tried it it's not for them and there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, this is not for me. And then there are people who were like me. We got into this wanting to make a difference for children. We, we um, put into practice what, what we knew to be good at that time or whatever. And taking that step back and saying, okay, I want to do this. This is where I want to spend my life. Is it in the classroom in this capacity? Is it doing something differently? Is there something about my practice I can do differently? For a lot of teachers, I know they say, it's not about the kids, it's not the, if I could just do that, 
I would be happy. Well, if you strip away everything else, that may be true. The reality is that you can't strip away everything else. So you gotta ask yourself, oh my gosh, is there a better place to do this? Is there, so it's really getting to, I, I've gotta be in this. And unless you're in it, you're going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. I, so just taking that time to assess, I mean, I think we rush through everything without, it's okay to step back and say, wait a minute, let me back up a bit, think about this and, and then move forward. And it doesn't have to be a leap forward. It's just, okay, what's the very next thing I can do to make this a better experience for myself? Or can I ask somebody about this or reach out to, is it my principal? Is it, who is it that I could say, I really want to be here, but this, this, and this, I can't. And just opening up a dialogue to say, this is why I'm unhappy in what I'm doing. And can you help me? Do you remember when you were teaching, if you had um, like a go-to group that you would bounce stuff off of? Did you have a couple of mentors or anything like that? When I first started teaching, I did not. But what saved me was I had a really, really good, well, she's my really good friend now, but we were co-teaching together and we just became really good friends. She's a lot older than I am. Um, and I valued what she brought. She was old school and really believed in kids being kids and us accommodating what kids bring. And that's stayed with me. I mean, that's the, uh, we worked together from 2003 till 2008 when I left Maryland. And she was always about the children. And that, that really, once I really took that perspective of this has to be about the kids, it changed how I worked. It changed how I thought about my work. Um, it even changed the way I talked about talk to families mm. to really get to know, understand that families want what's best for their kids. We may not agree with their approaches. We may not agree with um, anything. I mean, we don't have to agree on anything, but they care about their kids. And I have to be able to engage them in ways that are meaningful to them and to say, oh, yes, I too care about your child. And to mean that when I say that and not just be... Um, faking it, you know, faking it. They know when you're not authentic. Um, so she really saved me from just leaving the field altogether. Um, and of course, you know, after work and all that, we would hang out and just <laughs> the laughs and the tear, just everything. Because without the laughter, which was critical to, mm -hmm. that's how we endured some of the stuff we had to go through. Just, oh my gosh, yeah. laughing at the ridiculousness of it. And that's what I try to bring, mm -hmm. like when we talk about uh, what's going on within in our field, and you have to laugh at it because that's mm -hmm. that's um, there's nothing there's not another way to me to decompress mm -hmm. about it sometimes. And I know that teachers feel uh, isolated. You, you know, they're in their classrooms all day, and mm -hmm. sometimes they don't they don't have those opportunities to bounce uh, ideas off of. And for those teachers that don't have a co teacher, uh, I always say like find find know someone that you can decompress with and bounce ideas okay. off of and surely after this experience with um, traveling the state through the kindergarten experience I've the teachers have been telling me yes if, I don't think I would have been able to get through that experience if it wasn't for so-and-so mm -hmm. from this other department or and that's really important to say it's okay with your feeling stressed and mm -hmm. you don't know you don't have to know all of it I feel like yeah. as a teacher mm -hmm. you have that pressure where I have to know everything mm -hmm. no that's I just have to love to learn about it mm -hmm. and show you how to 
uh, research it and to learn more about it. And it's mm-hmm. okay if I don't know the, if I don't have all the answers, I don't know mm-hmm. it all. It's about finding it. Yeah. Um, now, with that, we're talking about uh, kind of decompressing and um, the stress of, of some of the positions. And I wanted to ask, what do you do for your work-life balance? Oh my gosh, what don't I do? What don't I do? Uh, well, uh, I'm much better. I, I gotta admit, I used to be really, really bad at it. You know, before you have children, and I just have, I was always about the work. And even after I got married and all of that was still just, I worked a lot in a lot. Just tell, too much. tell us, because um, some people don't know your personal life. Sure, sure, sure. Um, how old your your daughter is sure she's two now she just turned two in july and prior to having her um my life was about work and home and you know we traveled and just hung out and that kind of stuff and she came along and it really forced me to evaluate my life i knew what kind of mother i wanted to be i mean i'm an older person so you know she was a surprise a blessing in every way a child could be And she really forced me to say, who do you want to be? What kind of mother do you want to be? And you can't be the mom you want to be if you're bringing work home at night and you're working weekends and you're on the phone and you're texting and you're, everything is about work. So when I had her, well, when I was pregnant with her, I decided, okay, I'm not going to be that person. I really have to take care of myself. And so I started just establishing those boundaries and people would email me. And I would let it wait, and they would have to wait. If it's a Friday, they're going to have to wait till Monday. I wouldn't even look at it. And nothing happened, huh? No, no, nothing. Nothing exploded. It wasn't a crisis. They would text me then. Hey, did you see that email? No. (laughs) That's awful. Right? And so I would text back, no, not looking at email till Monday. But sort of teaching people what the boundary was. When I came back to work and I was in this new position, that became even more difficult for them because the previous, my predecessor, was also about the work I mean just was and could be and so shifting people from thinking they had to be on 24 7 to oh no just as much as I value my personal time I need you to value yours for your own sanity for the health of this group I need you to also start having boundaries and that took at least a year to really get people to say oh it's okay if I go on vacation I can take a day off I can turn not answer an email and have them wait till the next day instead of answering at 11 at night. Don't send me a text at 12 midnight unless there's, they joke because I say, unless there's blood or death, (laughs) I don't want to hear it till tomorrow. If I'm out on vacation, I'm on vacation. So don't send me anything important. If it's an emergency or a crisis, sure, call me. But I'm the first thing I'm going to ask you when I answer is, is this an emergency? Just because they, everything else is, it's going to be there when we get back. <laughs> yes. It just is. That's how I evaluate everything. Oh. My background is in crisis um, intervention. I, I work at the crisis uh, children's shelter, so everything was um, a crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, every the text at one a.m. really was a crisis. It was some. I was getting a call from uh, DCS about a child in mission. So I did have to answer those calls. So once I switched over to this position and doing my consult work, I now measure it by that. Is mm-hmm. this a crisis? 
getting on my podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Is there any other last comments, uh, questions, advice you'd like to end with before I let you go? Um, no, but I thank you for letting me join you, ask some questions, answer some questions. This was fun. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate you letting us have an insight into your world. Sure. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to my podcast.